two generations. One passion. This is Generation Red. Win number two, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to episode number 12 of the Generation Red podcast, the Kettle Corn of Husker Fan podcast, where we do our best to be sweet, but at times we get salty. I'm your host, Ken. And I'm your slightly sweeter host, Scott. <laughs> I don't feel all that salty today, but I do feel rather crispy after sitting at the very tippy top of Dante's Easy Bake, also known as Memorial Stadium yesterday to witness the Huskers 28-7 to win over the University of Buffalo on the 20th anniversary of 9-11, which was uh, quite an eventful tunnel walk. Uh, the lead up to the game, they showed the video that Nebraska had posted back on August 31st, revealing the uniforms they would be wearing during the game with, with uh, Damian um, Jackson taking the flag out to some first responders and saluting them. It was quite moving. And uh, then come to find out from your mom, Scott, as we were watching the game, that they showed the entirety of that tunnel walk on TV as well, including the national anthem, which I thought was really cool. That is awesome. So, yeah, it was such a great atmosphere. Um, and I got to thinking as I was watching it all and trying to keep my emotions in check, I'm, I was wondering about the players. I was wondering how easy would it be for them to really focus in on the game and get going once the ball was kicked off. And <laughs> my greatest fears were kind of uh, revealed as we get through the game because we kind of started slow, but uh, the defense didn't, which was great. Uh, but before we get to the Buffalo game, uh, let's go ahead and do what we did last week, which I think is a great thing to do. And let's talk about some of those top 25 games that uh, happened yesterday, which were some pretty cool upsets, which is pretty typical about this time of year. Yeah, hey folks. Um, so I'm just going to breeze through this pretty quick. I'm always fascinated by top 25 showdowns. It's always been something that has piqued my interest, just getting on the ESPN app and seeing what uh, games transpired throughout the week because I can't watch all of them, um, even if I wanted to. I just don't have the time for it. But um, a few of the games that I did get to see, I will uh, state that I got to watch some of them, but otherwise... Mostly I'm just providing stats. I'm sure most of you guys uh, probably pay attention to it, but if you don't, this is kind of what transpired over this last week. So on Friday night, Coastal Carolina beat Kansas. Number 17 Coastal Carolina beat Kansas. And I watched the majority of that game because I was curious to see how Lance Leipold would uh, hold out against a top 25 opponent. And Coastal Carolina is no slouch. What they have built and the Carolinas uh, has been formidable, to say the least. Um, I was impressed with Kansas throughout the first half and going into the second half. They had a good game uh, showdown for the most part, but Coastal Carolina proved their worth and pulled away from Kansas, beating them 49-22. to 22. Um, 
with that score being pretty distant between uh, Coastal Carolina and Kansas, I do have to say that Kansas did look good. They look more disciplined. They look more physical. And they looked like they wanted to win. Um, so it looks like Leopold is getting that shift in culture going on in Kansas. And I just wish nothing but the best for the Jayhawks. And moving on, uh, I'm sure all of Husker Nation is very aware of this because it's just sweet to watch Ohio State uh, fall to any team. <laughs> but uh, number 12, Oregon, beats number three, Ohio State, 35 to 28. And the way that Oregon put together their West Coast style uh, swing route, high tempo uh, offensive scheme worked really well. And that is mostly due in part with the amount of size that they've acquired on their lines and the amount of physicality that Oregon has put together with their team thus far. And they looked really good. They executed incredibly well and exploited a lot of uh, Ohio State's weaknesses, which has been stated amongst analysts and uh, anchors that Ohio State's defense has some weaknesses and Oregon certainly figured those out. So um, watching Ohio State in the Big Ten grand scheme of things kind of sucks um, just because who knows if they're going to find their way back in the in the top four to get into a college football playoff. Um, we'll find out. But yep, Ohio State falls. So uh, next up, we have number eight, Notre Dame, avoiding an upset against Toledo. And that was uh, a game that I did not watch, but I watched the highlights on PCS highlights. And yeah, they had to bring it down to the wire with a last second, well, last minute touchdown that Notre Dame had to uh, achieve in order to beat Toledo. So that's kind of exciting. Moving forward, we have number five, Texas A&M, avoiding an upset against Colorado with a very, very defensive dominating game. Uh, beating Colorado 10 to 7. Very exciting. Um, I did not watch the highlights to that game because there probably weren't very many. Um, but I was just, I honestly, I like the underdog. I love the underdog story. I don't care if it's Colorado, which I detest mm -hmm. Colorado. Uh, it just is always a, it's always a sweet, a sweet thing to watch the underdog pull off the upset. So wish that would have happened, but Texas A&M pulled it off. And moving on, we got uh, number 10, Iowa, beating number 9, Iowa State, 27-17, to 17, increasing their win streak to an eight-game winning streak. Um, it's that, um, that Matt Campbell, he is now 0-for-5 against the Hawkeyes, and this honestly was probably his best team that he could pull forward to pull uh, a, a win against Iowa, but didn't do it. They just were not firing on all cylinders. They looked uh, outmatched and outclassed by Iowa just across the board. Um, Iowa is looking good this year. They are looking really good. Um, so we'll, yeah, they do. Well, <laughs> if I mean the last three years with with Frost, it's been close down to the wire scores. 
between Nebraska and Iowa. And as I was talking to my dad, as we were leaving Memorial stadium, I was thinking if this were to be the year that it's not a close game and Iowa just uh, beats us down, it would probably be this year, but I don't know. We'll see. Um, moving forward, we've got unranked can uh, Arkansas or Kansas. I know that they hate it when people say that, but I think it's like I think it's a law somewhere in like some county in Arkansas. It's actually illegal and a prosecutable offense to consider the state of Arkansas or Kansas. So that's interesting laws. But unranked hmm. Arkansas upsets number fifteen Texas. Texas is back, baby. Um, yeah, not really. Um, Arkansas just looked on fire. I watched a good majority of that game. And mm-hmm. they beat them 40 to 21. And it wasn't until the last five minutes of the game that Texas was able to put another seven points on the board. So it was 40 to 14 at a certain point. And Arkansas just outmatched and outclassed Texas on almost every aspect of the game. Texas looked weak. They looked slow. They were not executing. They were making lots of mistakes. It was just honestly a joy. It was just a joy to watch (laughs) lowly Arkansas, but uh, to give Arkansas credit where it is deserved, they look good. They look good. I don't know if it was just that game. I don't know what the rest of their season has looked like. As far as I'm concerned, Arkansas is irrelevant in the SEC, but after that game, I'm going to pay close attention to see what the rest of their season unfolds, how the rest of their season unfolds. Um, Moving on, we got Number 22, Miami, survives an upset with Appalachian State. Go figure. Appalachian State always seems to be on the cusp of upset against Power 5 conference op- mm-hmm. or yeah, Power 5 teams. And uh, Miami survives 25 to 23. Did not watch that game, though. Um, I watched a bit of this game last night. Unranked BYU uh, upsets number 21, Utah, in the Holy War. 26 to 17, knocking off the nine game losing streak that they had had that they have had against Utah. And I was uh, honestly just pretty impressed with the level of athleticism that BYU put on the field that night. They were fired up. Their crowd was going insane. And I didn't get to finish the game, but based on the score, it looks like it definitely came down to an all defensive showdown by the end of the uh end of the fourth quarter so in last game of the top 25 recap um as you can tell Mm -hmm. i don't go through every single game because some games are just expected ranked team beats some fcs or uh group of five notable games notable games yeah notable games notable games is what i'm doing um, I did not watch a single highlight for this. I just put it on here because it was an unranked team beating a ranked team and unranked Stanford beats number 14 USC, which seems to happen a lot, especially in the Pac-12. They really do cannibalize each other all the time. So whatever, they beat them 42 to 28. And that pretty much uh, wraps up my top 25 notable games recap. And... I suppose we can uh, move forward to what we actually want to talk about, and that is the Buffalo game. Insert stinger music here. (laughs) Well, um, as I said at the beginning of the show, the uh, music and the 
the festivities before the game and many of the things that happened throughout the game and the folks who were honored um, throughout the game, uh, especially uh, the young man who just got brought home from Afghanistan over the weekend uh, was, was a heavy moment. And it seemed, I don't know, it seemed the team came out and played hard. They really, really played hard. Uh, that's what I noticed right out of the gate was there was just no loafing. Everybody was trying their best. And uh, and in my opinion, this was probably one of Scott Frost's best coach games when it came to coming up with plays that were going to work against an extremely stingy Buffalo defense, a defense that just wasn't going to go away. Um, but then when you look at the final stats, you go, holy crap, we went for over 500 yards. Uh, but breaking down this game, we'll just start with the first quarter, which there wasn't a whole lot to talk about because not a whole lot happened other than both teams kind of went up and down the field on their first drive. Buffalo missed a field goal after chewing off seven minutes of the first quarter or almost seven minutes. And then Nebraska goes on a good drive. And then this is the story of 2021. Uh, these are the kind of plays that happen and it seems to plague this team and especially poor Connor Culp and the fact that he misses a chip shot field goal. And then from there, it was just kind of go into the second quarter and hope something good would happen because uh, at the end of the first, it was scoreless. I don't know if you saw anything else in that first quarter you wanted to mention, but those are the kind of things that stood out to me. Uh, not really. It was it was pretty slow to start. Like you said, mm-hmm. Buffalo's defense was really stingy. They were well coached. And it looked like whatever game plan, whatever scripted offensive schema that we had ready to go just did not play out. And what I noted, mm-hmm. what I noted first of all was that our offensive line just looked outclassed and outmatched. Uh, Martinez was not able to get any sort of uh, protection, and the mm-hmm. the pocket was collapsing almost immediately. And that was pretty much my overall impression of the first quarter, aside from what you said, which I completely concur with mm-hmm. with your takes on everything when it came to the first quarter, um, is, yeah, our offensive line looked like a young offensive line. And then, yeah, yeah Culp missing mm-hmm. a 32-yard field goal. That I think that was the one that bounced off of the upright. Um, Mm -hmm. yeah, it was just, which of course that was the story for the rest of the game for Culp, just wide, (laughs) you know, to the right, to the left, whatever. Oh, I meant to actually look at the replay for that final field goal. Um, I never actually did. We'll get to it. Um, I did see the replay on it, uh, earlier today. I finally got to sit down and, and watch the entire game on, on TV, because uh, it was a totally different vantage point where we were sitting. It was hard to see some of those close plays and things like that. Uh, but, yeah, we'll get to that field goal at the end of the fourth quarter. Uh, there's right. a reason it was called It was called uh, not good, and, and it, was a good, it was a good call. Okay. So the second quarter begins. I believe Nebraska had the ball, and one of the first plays in the second quarter was another one of those story of 2021 plays, and that is uh, a Torre TD pass is called back for a really weird offensive pass interference call. Um, it seems like, and they were saying it on BTN, uh, Damon Benning and the guy that was uh, calling the game kind of said that it seems there must be an imperative been given down to the referees in uh, college football that pick plays like that or rub plays as they call it are going to be more enforced. 
So maybe that's why that was called. But to me, it didn't even look like truly pass interference. It was just a dude running his route and <laughs> two other dudes happened to be trying to go the other way, <laughs> you know? So, uh, and then later, of course, we didn't get anything with that drive. So then the next Buffalo drive, there was a horrible first down spot on that third down play that it looked like we stopped him about a half for a full yard short and they gave them the first down. Uh, but then that didn't stop Daniels from making a huge stop on the next third down opportunity. Uh, and then another one of those story of 2021 plays where Martinez breaks a 71 yard run on what should have been probably a seven to eight yard sack. And on that play, he goes over 2000 career yards rushing for a guy that most of the fan base thinks kind of sucks. He's had a pretty remarkable career for stats. He has. Um, unfortunately, there haven't been a lot of doggone wins to go along with it. And I don't think I'd place that burden entirely on Adrian's shoulders. No. Um, yeah, it changes the entire narrative of of Adrian Martinez's career here at Nebraska. If those games flip the record, yeah, if you flip the record, if you if we yep. win even sixty percent of those one score games that we are notorious yep. for finding a way to lose, and Martinez is right up there with a right up there in in the good quarterbacks column. Although, God, mm-hmm. if if he didn't have over 30 was it 37 turnovers in his entire career while being here which granted we yes. could we could blame on him or we could blame on oh, bad offensive yeah. line or um whatever i mean i i still think that if if we were to look at every single turnover he's made in his entire career um and just watch a highlight reel of them i would i would be uh i'd be certain that at least half of them were as a direct result of a bad pass or bad decision or a bad fumble sure. generated yeah. by Martinez. But regardless of all of that, if we were mm-hmm. just winning more games, there would be a different narrative mm-hmm. behind Martinez. But Right. Um, and you, you could you could make the argument too that you cut those turnovers total in his career by half or more and then we are winning those games. Oh yeah. You know, we are winning some of those one one so yeah, we can't place some of it hand. on his shoulders. Uh, but you know, he hasn't had a lot to work with. It seems like he's got something to work with, even though <laughs> coming out of this game, our wide receivers and tight ends are kind of like an emergency ward at the hospital right now <laughs> <laughs> with bets hurt. And, you know, you've got Borshirester or whatever the hell his last name is in at tight end now, because Allen's out and you got Chancellor Brewington at tight end. You got Hickman playing a lot more snaps at a slot spot than he normally would have. Uh, so yeah, pretty crazy. Well, or Irvin, then sco- finally scores his first college TD after Martinez breaks that long run, which was awesome. They opened up, made it really nice and easy for him to get in. Uh, next possession, Nelson makes a giant play on third down, and then they go for it on fourth. And uh, Reimer makes a tackle for loss, one of six on the day for the team. Uh, and then, of course, here comes another one of those story of 2021 plays. Ben Hart's called for holding on an incredible 44-yard catch by Betts. That was nuts. Even from where we were sitting in the stadium, we were completely oh the other end. It was an unbelievable play that that, that kid made. has incredible hands. That would have been in probably the top 10, like ESPN's top 10 plays, if not oh, for, for that sure. holding call. And mm-hmm. yeah, it's a, yeah, it's, it's a damn shame that 
Ben Hart, and it was it was definitely a holding call. If he it was a bad just, hold. <laughs> if he would have just let go, like the I mean, yes, the guy could have in theory gotten to Martinez in the time that it took for him to hold, but um, yeah, it was only a split second that he had his arm wrapped around basically his neck area. And if he would have just let it go enough. and let the guy have to go around him instead of trying to hold on to him, it would have just been an easy, mm-hmm. an easy play regardless. Mm-hmm. So that's just one of those, yep. oh, hey, have fun with that gun pointed at your foot, as we like to do a lot. But um, Especially on scoring plays, yeah. But then, you know, once we got the ball, once they got the ball back, um, I thought it was really wise. For once, I truly thought uh, Frost exercise some extremely good game management and using the timeouts when he did on their drive to pursue as much time as possible. (laughs) As this year has gone, the quarterback decides to hit a pooch punt and it got up into the wind and 81 freaking yards later, it's in the end zone. Thank God it got all the way to the end zone, but that was nuts. That it like, can we hire that quarterback to be our punter Yeah, or something? (laughs) Like, can he transfer (laughs) over here? Because uh, passer too, <laughs> yeah, no kidding. Eighty-one yards from a pooch punt like that. Yes, yeah. and it was he it was with the wind just right. It was from the wind with the wind behind him, but I mean right. that wind didn't exceed any anything above fourteen miles per hour at any given point. So if it was the full fourteen miles per hour, all right. But even still, like it got a good mm-hmm. roll. It was just everything about it was just like really. Wow, yes, and thank oh, yeah. God it went into the end zone because <laughs> if that ball would have stopped at the one, I would have just been like, well, we'll just add that to our story of 2021. <laughs> yep, um, exactly, exactly. And then, of course, one of the first play, I think it was the first play, if not the second play, was a throw to Betts, and he goes down with a rib injury, doesn't return to the game. Yeah, uh, Here's hoping he's available next week, at least for a play or two would be nice. And then... Uh, 2021 team MVP watch play happened with Toure with his first of two 68-yard touchdown receptions on an absolutely perfect strike from Martinez. It's one of the best passes I've seen Adrian throw in his career, to be honest with you. Yes, caught him Um, in stride right where the ball needed to go, gave Toure plenty of real estate to to get up on his his horse and just Mm -hmm. go. It was perfect. It was a perfect It was absolutely perfect. Um, And then Damon Benning had to cap it off on (laughs) BTN and say, hey, hey, it's hip, hip, Torre. And I was like, no, I don't need to be reminded of Grandpa Mike's time here. But that that was pretty funny. Hip, hip, (laughs) Torre. So we go in at halftime up 14 to nothing, which is, I think, one of the first times we've shut out a team in the first half since, I think it was the first time since Maryland, uh, 2019. Was the last time oh. we shut somebody out in the I did first not half. pay attention so, to that. That's good. Um, yeah, that's pretty awesome. Um, there's some other interesting stats that I saw in the paper today of first things that we've done in quite a while, which to me indicates that maybe the ship might be beginning to turn a little bit further away from that iceberg that <laughs> it seems it's been about to hit. Um, so in the third quarter, Nebraska opens with a really good drive. There was that killer flip pass that Really, oh, really I forgot about that. Shovel pass to Hickman. <laughs> and then right after that, of course, another one of those story of 2021 plays where Culp misses his second field goal. Um, And that kind of sucked. And at this point, I'm just sitting there cheering that we keep 
shutting Buffalo out. But as, of course, things tend to be for us, Buffalo does end up getting a field goal after a decent drive. And that was in spite of a 15-yard unsportsmanlike penalty during that drive. So good for them. They got a field goal. Uh, maybe we could get their kicker, except for the fact that he was four of five. They tried five field goals and he only made one. Or he was one of five, one yeah, of five one or of one five. of four, something like that. One of five, yeah. Uh, NU's drive, next drive stalls. Then Daniels gets called for that 15-yard penalty for losing his helmet and continuing the play. Um, at first, I know we were upset in the stadium. Everybody was upset in the stadium. Yeah. Uh, mostly because we didn't know or didn't remember that the rule's been around since 2012, but it's rarely, if ever, enforced. I've seen a few plays in other games where dudes, had, their helmets popped off and they kind of run around, but they don't participate in the play itself. Uh, so I think where Daniels went wrong was actually participating in the tackle. Um, so then Dismuke had great coverage on third down. I tell you what, our safeties, when they get stuck on one-on-one with something, those guys were, were money all day yesterday. Dismuke and Williams both, uh, Oh yeah. Messed with a couple of passes that could have been completed because they were thrown fairly well. So, um, very then there was a nice, nice. Yes. There was a nice misdirection run by Irvin. Looked like they kind of adjusted their run scheme a little bit in the second half where they were going to go with a little bit more option based, uh, a little more misdirection counters, things like that to get the defense. Cause they were packing the box with seven, eight dudes, absolutely selling out to stop the run, uh, which is, you know, why Ture had such a good day, why Betts had that play that ended up getting called back and things like that. And then, and then of course, Logan having that nice toss down at, toward the end of the game, that nice 54-yard toss was mainly because they were so sold out to stop the run. They weren't going to – they were just daring us to throw. And credit to Martinez and Smothers, they made them pay. Um, yes. But, yeah, that was some good acceleration and burst by Irvin once he gets beyond the line of scrimmage. He really does have a quick step. Gets up to speed quickly, and he wasn't. A, he, I love the fact that he stayed in pounds and hit some dude. <laughs> he had made a guy knock him out of bounds. He didn't just run out of bounds, which I appreciated. And then that option play went for 21 yards for Irvin, which was. Uh, I thought at first we had another guy in the in the game that he faked to, but instead Martinez faked the counter one direction. Then he spins and goes around and pitches it off to to Irvin, and that was 21 yards. That was a nice. Nice play. It was and it then, was very well executed, very smooth. Mm-hmm. No hesitation. It's a lot of shit that OU's got to worry about defending next week. That and there's probably a lot more in the playbook that we haven't shown yet either. Hopefully we can run it well and we don't, you know, get called for 18 holds next weekend, which there's a really good chance. The yep. defensive line is pretty speedy. Uh, but hey, so was this one. Give Buffalo credit. Their defensive line was fast and quick right off the ball. So. Uh, the, I thought the play by our two offensive linemen dive on the football after Martinez was hit as he threw was extremely smart uh, because the whistle didn't blow until those guys, those linemen were almost to the football. So they did as they were coached. They played until the whistle sounded. Yeah. Um, and then uh, uh, Cherney made that great punt that landed on the two that got down on the two. And then um, let's see here. Hmm. I think the third quarter ended with uh, Robinson making that nice tackle for loss. Um, and at that point, we had six tackles for loss by NU. And Buffalo, when it was all said and done, had four tackles for loss as a team as well. So uh, that's pretty impressive for an FCS school to come in here and do that. So that's pretty much all I've got for notes on the third quarter. Was there anything I left out that you've got 
Uh, I don't know if it was the third quarter. I kind of just think in first and second half terms unless I write it down. Um, But one of the things that I did notice in the second half, correct me if I'm wrong, if it was also in the third quarter, but Buffalo seemed to have schemed a lot of their passing offense to the side of the field that Quinton Newsom was on. Um, mm-hmm. and they were very money with, with curl routes and, and, uh, and, uh, shoot, what are they called? Like post routes or whatever. Um, essentially all they needed to do was just pull it back really quick. And Newsom was, was riding too tight with them and, or giving them too much room to essentially just juke them, juke him out of his cleats and, that's one thing that I noticed that the uh, Buffalo offense was coached really well to recognize was that on that weak side of our defense, um, all they needed to do was play a good scheme on their for their wide receivers on the side of the field that Quentin Newsom was on, and that's actually where they got a lot of their a lot of their uh, passing yards from was directly against Quentin Newsom and. Specifically, what was that guy's name? Keon Williams. Yeah, yeah. Keon Williams. I looked it up. He was not. That's not the same Keon Williams that was here. He's got a different spelling on his first name. So, um, but yeah, I think it looked that way to me too. Especially in the stadium, that they were definitely picking on the boundary corner. And at times, that was a lot of the time that was Newsom. And sometimes they'd notice when Clark would come in the game, and they'd immediately go after him as well because he's. I think he's the one that backs up Newsom. Um, so yeah, they, they got some rat yards that way, but still they didn't finish with the whole pile of passing yards, which you would have expected with this. It seems like he had so many completions, but they did throw the ball a lot. Um, and a lot of them were fairly short. They weren't really long. I don't think Newsom ever gave up any kind of really big plays. Um, usually the big plays came on busted coverage, um, things like that. So, uh, moving on to the fourth quarter. First play of the fourth quarter was uh, me standing up there at the top, looking at you and going, "Doggone it! If there's anything we need right now, it's a turnover." Oh, and dude, like, it was four perfect seconds time. later. You <laughs> no, it was like you were like, "We need a turnover in the worst way right now." And right as you said that, he tips the ball, tips to the ball, <laughs> and gets an interception. And I'm just looking at you like, "Ah, Nostradamus!" Like, yeah. holy crap. It was like the most yeah. perfect timing. And then I was that total douchebag looking around at everybody going, I called it. Yeah, I called it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. So, and then the fullback. Yeah, I'm glad you found that. It was DeAndre Thomas was the fullback in on that next play where Step, or not Step, but uh, Irvin gets his second touchdown. And if you watch the replay, I mean, Thomas just blows up whoever it was he blocked. I mean, he just... There was no choice, but th- that hole was big enough for you to run through um, or walk through for crying out loud. It was crazy. Um, so then Nebraska's up 21-3. Blackshirts get a stop on the next play. Irvin comes back in, has a good run outside again. And then, of course, uh, after we stop them the next time, there's another story of 2021 play where another punt gets muffed, uh, but not because uh, Cam Taylor Britt dropped it but because it touched isaac gifford one of his blockers in front of him instead of instead of uh cam but he needs to be calling out whatever the that word is they're supposed to use to get everybody to leave because there's a word that every team uses that's easy to understand easy to hear it's usually peter or pickle 
the returner's supposed to yell pickle or Peter or whatever it is to get his blockers to get away from the ball because it could land on them. Apparently, he did not use the word would be my guess. Um, so anyway, on that next, once again, the defense stood up. Uh, Henrik had a nice fill in the gap, stopped a play that looked like it could go somewhere. Williams had a great pass breakup. Uh, Henrik again on a great shoestring tackle on a screen, and then they missed another field goal. So, yeah, uh, just incredible. And then the very next play, thought they were going to probably just run the ball, run the clock out because there's only a few minutes left. But uh, <laughs> 21, 21 team MVP watch, another perfect strike from Martinez to Torrey for his second 68 yard TD. That happened right in front of us, which was wonderful. Um, you could just see that DB that kind of had an angle a little bit give up. The story kind of turned toward the middle of the field. He was like, ah, f*** it. <laughs> you yep. know, just kind of trotted behind him. And uh, BTN's Rick Pizzo, I noticed this when I was watching the game, said that Frost gave a huge fist pump after the TV, TD to Torre, and that calling that play was likely more about getting ready for OU next week as opposed to running it up on Buffalo, letting OU know that this is a guy you're going to have to scheme to stop, which – Damn, if we're as unhealthy at the wide receiving spot as we are right now, that kind of scares me because I'm pretty sure OU can figure it out. But then again, defense has never been the thing that OU has hung its hat on in the last 10 years in the in the um, Big 12 because they've gotten, what, to five playoff appearances in the CFP and they've just about got their doors blown off every single time. Yep. Um, except for the year when they went with Baker Mayfield. That was a comeback win by Georgia. Um, but, uh, again, it was the defense that let him down. So who knows? Maybe we've got a puncher's chance. We will see. Um, but at that point, the second teamers come in on defense, including Damian Jackson playing a lot of that last five minutes of fourth quarter, which was awesome. Had some good plays, had some decent pressures. Um, there was an illegal forward pass penalty that cost us another touchdown on the fourth quarter, even though it was debatable, but on TV, when I looked at it, it looked like um, Logan released the ball at about the 11-yard line, and it looked like, was it Lante Brown? No, Will Mixon, Nixon, Will Mixon, whatever his yeah. name, last name is, received it or caught it at about the 10. Um, so yeah, cause it looks like they got the call right. What I was watching was as soon as the ball entered his, his hands, he had both his feet up in the air, and they're going to count – his reception position, wherever his Where next landed. foot lands. And mm -hmm. he landed just before the 10-yard line. And so okay. even though from where we were sitting and looking up at the big screen and even on TV, mm -hmm. it was still an incredibly razor-thin margin at which you could make a yay or nay call on it. Ultimately, right. yeah, they made they made the right call. Um, but dang, you know, like half, even a quarter of a yard away from a last, sure. you know, last second, you know, last 30 seconds mm -hmm. in the game touchdown for our second teamers, which would have just been awesome. Um, mm -hmm. but it is what it is. Well, what we're getting, we're getting up underneath our feet now. So it's looking, sure. it's looking okay. And then, yeah. And then that field goal looked like it went over the top of the upright. So I think they're always going to call that no good. So I think that was probably a good call, even though the boo birds were quite evident in the last two plays of the game. There was no doubt about it. It was as loud as I've heard boos in that stadium, especially on that option play. And then it just kind of 
continued when the field goal was uh, called no good. So final score, 28 to three. Um, total yards for Nebraska was 527, 231 rush, 296 pass. Again, a quite balanced effort against a really good football team, a team that, uh, according to Damon Benning and a couple of other people on BTN and other places have said that of the three teams before Oklahoma, this would be the best team that Nebraska would play. We held them to three, three points. That's pretty good. Uh, we had 61 plays averaging eight and a half yards apiece. We had 5.3 yards per rush, uh, 3.7 yards per rush without Martinez's 71 yard play, as you have properly noted here, but it's still 3.7. I'd pretty much take that on just about every play, especially in the Big Ten. Uh, here's hoping we can do that once we get into league play. 21.1 yards per pass attempt. We had, unfortunately, nine penalties for 71 yards. Three of them, or yeah, three of them taking 21 points off the board. Yeah, uh, 19 first downs, eight for 15 on third down, which is more than 50%. That's good. That's good. 28 minutes time of possession. So God bless that defense for Sticking through that heat, having to be out there a little longer than the offense was. Um, Martinez, of course, had a good game. I would say a good game. Really good game. 68% completion rate. 13, point, 13 of 19 for 242 yards, two TDs. Uh, nine rushes for 112 yards and 354 yards total. Just that Martinez responsible for. Uh, first player in 17 games to rush for 100 yards on Buffalo. That's impressive, as good as that defense is. Um, Irvin had 10 rushes for 56 yards. He really didn't get going till the second half. Uh, but two of those rushes resulted in touchdowns. Torre had two receptions, 136 yards, and both of them 68 yards, obviously, and both of them touchdowns. Um, as we said, the penalties that wiped out two long TDs, one to Betts, one to Torre, and then, of course, the option pitch that was ruled a forward pass. Nebraska, um, 41 rushes, 220 yards. Uh, yeah, take away the 71-yarder by by uh, Martinez, then, yeah, that was not exactly a great output for the rush. But, hey, that's kind of what he's there to do, too. And that's why we have a quarterback and will have quarterbacks that are capable of getting themselves out of trouble. They can make plays like that. And uh, it was the fourth straight game in a row that the Nebraska defense has held their opponent to zero fourth quarter points. I'd say that's a sign of an improving defense. What do you think of the final stats or were there any other stats that you could pull out that you wanted to mention for Nebraska? My uh, my final thoughts are just, uh, I think in previous episodes, I've been a bit of a Debbie Downer when it came to Martinez. Um, and to go with that trend, yeah, there were just... Uh, a few times where it was just incredible to me that Martinez was able to drop absolute dimes to to receivers downfield, but there were three or four uh, plays that were no more than ten yards in front of him, and he just overthrows them every single time. Mm-hmm. So that's a that's a cause for concern still when it comes to Martinez, but that's kind of the only negative aspect of Martinez from the game because that would account for. I mean, if mm-hmm. he would have made those simple passes, he would have been 16 for 19 and would have had an even better uh, accuracy percentage. And one of the uh, notable positives of Martinez is aside from that fumble, that crucial fumble that he made in the Illinois game, he, out of three games, still has no interceptions. Um, yeah. That's something that is 
very positive to look at moving forward. Don't know if he'll continue that trend next week. Fingers crossed. But um, yeah, I was I was overall genuinely happy with Martinez's performance during this game. Uh, he made it was too. He made mm-hmm. smart, competent decisions um, and didn't try and force something that wasn't there. And mm-hmm. when it comes to his 71-yard run that he made, uh, that that increased our average uh, yards per run. I mean, yeah, you can take that away and it, and it drastically affects our yards per run. But ultimately, you kind of want that in your overall stat line. You want to have one, two, maybe even three key plays that increase your overall performance. Even if you had only a a sub-optimal performance, getting those explosive plays like we had discussed Mm -hmm. in previous episodes, those explosive plays are what you need to win games. You need those, you need those explosive plays, handful of them. And so that's the upside that mm-hmm. I'm thinking about with Martinez is he did that. He made a play happen, especially goodness gracious. He had, he had dudes grabbing his feet. He was running into his own guys. Like the fact that he was able to get out of that pocket and then get 71 yards out of it, Dude, yeah. yeah. And if if the temperature was even 10 degrees less, I think that Martinez would have had just that little bit more of gas in his tank to get to pull to score. off to yep. score. Cuz honestly, I maybe he was out of gas, but I think he might have been preserving his body a little bit. He could have pushed, but if he gets like a really bad cramp and then somebody runs into him and gets an injury, like that's yeah. that's no good. Um but one of the other notable things I noticed about the game was how many injuries that there were in the game. Yeah. A 10 plus at least. Um, and majority, I think we had three, maybe four guys down and they had eight or nine guys down. And mm-hmm. it was just one two of, of them on that play alone. Yes. Yeah. It was, it was a brutal game. 130 degrees on the field reported yeah. on Big Ten Network. Like that's, an incredibly abrasive environment to have to play football on, which Martinez said in his podcast, his most recent uh, podcast with uh, Oliver Martin and uh, oh, shoot, uh, Levi Falk. Wyatt Lever. No, was it, it Falk? It was it, okay. It, it was, was Falk, wasn't it? It was Falk. Um, yeah he he talked about that. He prefers to play in intense heat. That's what he's that's what he's used to. In uh in California, uh what is it? Where does he live? Uh Fresno. Uh, Fresno. Fresno. Um yeah, that's 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 what he's apparently built for, and he showed he showed his true colors that he was able to mm-hmm. for pretty much be the dog in the fight. And it was it was an incredible an incredible performance by him, uh, with mm-hmm. just a few few cause for concern. Um, few causes for concern. Um, and then the other thing that I wanted to note was that our defensive performance, they really embodied the bend don't break mentality at yep. the right times. I mean, Buffalo's total offensive yards, which we'll get into kind of a little bit of a breakdown for them. Yeah, uh, go ahead. I, I'll just actually go into that. So um, with Buffalo, they had a total of 359 yards 
across their whole offense 135 rushing yards and 224 passing yards that is supposed like that's supposed to be a touchdown one or two touchdowns out of that stat performance at least one and they didn't get it Mm -hmm. um granted yes they did miss four field goals uh but nevertheless we held them to only three points and they put 359 yards on us that was awesome like ben don't break Uh, we need that in the big 10 if we can transfer that kind of performance which i have a hard time believing that uh big 10 foes are going to miss that many field goals um i I, if i'm if i'm if i'm not wrong i'm pretty sure that they're that they're um that their kicker for buffalo He's a, he's a good kicker. It was actually kind of out of the ordinary that he missed that many times. Um, so mm-hmm. we kind of got lucky there. But yeah, they had 10 penalties for 88 yards, which, I mean, we had nine and nine for 71 yards. And they made some some key mistakes in those penalties that gave us a little bit more uh, breathing room. They got a total of 19 first downs. They were 11 for 22 on third down. And like you and I had discussed when we were in the stadium that we would be uh, pressed to believe that a lot of those third down conversions were actually on third and long. So that's another cause for concern is that they were making a lot of long third down plays that just shouldn't have happened. And it came from our secondary and our linebackers not being where they were supposed to be at and a guy being open. You should be coached to have man-to-man coverage on those guys, and your job is to hold that man down. And it looked Mm -hmm. like we didn't quite coach to a level of efficiency that we needed to in order to stop those third-down conversions. But nevertheless, 50% third-down conversion, if you get rid of maybe one or two of those, uh, or two or three of those uh, long third-down conversions, it looks... It looks way better. Looks way better. Um, they were zero for two on their fourth down conversions, which came at key moments in the game that shifted momentum in our favor. So that is awesome. And they had the majority of time of possession with 32 minutes. And that showed. That showed. They were like we had their bend, don't break mentality on our defense. And so of course they're going to get more time of possession that way because they're going to be on the field longer in regards to that. Mm -hmm. Um, And we were trying to get up on them. We were trying to score on them. So that's, we run out of clock a lot quicker that way. Um, But Mm -hmm. one of the, uh, one of the running backs that I was concerned about, he played a great game. Kevin Marks, he had 21 carries for 85 yards with a four, mm-hmm. 4.0 average. 4.0 average. the team average averaged. Yards. Yes. Um, team which, average 4.1. Yep. And they averaged 8.3 in their passes. So yeah, he's still pretty good. Yeah, and he, he had a, a long run for 30 yards. And uh, Dylan McDuffie. Duffel, Duffy, Mm -hmm. whatever, um, had a long run for 17 yards. But other than those two plays, we pretty much had them, yeah. Honestly, it didn't look all that great, our rushing defense. We had good stops. Uh, It was like a 50-50. We had really great stops where they didn't gain anything, but then they were getting five, six-yard chunks on us um, 
consistently. So that's something we got to look out for. And that's, that's kind of it. I kind of did that kind of long and winded, but, um, yeah, my key takeaway is that 359 yards and they only, they only finished with three points on the board is impressive. Mm -hmm. Second game in a row, holding an opponent to single, single digits in points scored too. Uh, so that's pretty good. Um, granted one of them's Fordham, but Hey, Buffalo just dropped 69 on Wagner last week. And this is a team that was in the Mac championship game last year. And I have a feeling they're going to give a lot of play, a lot of teams in that conference, a lot of headaches, uh, especially with the way that defense plays. Uh, so let's move on to our players of the game and then we can jump into the, well, what's coming next week. <laughs> Uh, I think we both agree. Uh, our players of the game, obviously, are Samari Torre. Granted, only two receptions, but though both of them were huge touchdowns. Both of them 68 yards. Both of them him running away from the defense. He is a nightmare for people to cover, especially the way they scheme things up to get him open. Uh, it's pretty doggone impressive. So skinny post on the first one, and then the other one was uh, kind of another one of those. Looked kind of like one of those rub routes, but it really wasn't. He kind of come up the outside and... And uh, wide open, and that was beautiful. Uh, Luke Reimers on defense with his one interception. He had a pass breakup as well. And uh, had 16 tackles, seven solo, nine assisted. So, uh, yeah, pretty impressive play by both of those guys. Yeah, dude. I And Samari, he should have had more productivity. Um, he was open quite yeah. Quite often, maybe not so much in the first and a little bit of the second quarter. Uh, it did seem like they had him pretty locked down, but I think that they changed their offensive scheme to move him around a little bit different and do a little bit more uh, uh, pre-snap movement to kind of confuse the defense a bit to get him a little bit more real estate to work with. And that worked out well. I'm actually surprised that he only had two receptions. Um how often I was seeing him open downfield. But then again, mm -hmm. Martinez was smart. He made smart short plays that he knew were going to work and keep the drive alive instead of bombing it on third down. Um, it's better to, on a third and seven, it's better to throw it to a guy who's got an open field in front of him who's right in front of you versus trying to bomb it downfield mm -hmm. for the touchdown or for the, uh, for the money play. So, um, yeah, I, I'm just, over the moon that we got Samari Torre on our team. He's definitely proven that he can hang with the big boys um, outside of Montana. And I'm very excited definitely. to see what he does, mm -hmm. what he does for the rest of the season. And then, yeah, Luke Reimers was just a freaking machine on the field. Um, I knew I'd heard his name a lot of, a lot of the game, but I didn't realize that it, it equated into 16 tackles. Like that's, that's impressive. Um, and then, yeah, that, it, that tipped ball, he <laughs> tipped it up in the air and intercepted himself. That was, that was crazy and almost got it, almost got the touchdown. That would have just been the icing to the cake. Um, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. but yep. Hey, we kudos to the guy that taped up his ankles for the game. I don't know if you saw the replay, but that one replay on the sideline as he's turning to try to get into the end zone and his foot lands out of bounds. It's like his foot was almost turned at a 90 degree angle. So kudos to the dude that taped up his ankles because it probably saved him a sprain. Cause that looked kind of like, ow, that would have hurt. But yes. Um, so that pretty much closes the book 
on Buffalo. So let's yep. go ahead and move on to next week's game. Well, sooners or later, you knew we had to get to it. <laughs> See what uh, I did there? That was that bad. Was bad. Oh, no. That was real really bad. bad. Hey, hey, I'm dad here. I'm supposed to do the dad jokes. It's just the way it works. Uh, so anyway, the Sooners are 2-0 and as expected. 58 points per game is what their average offense is averaging. And they are averaging giving up 17.5 points per game. Granted, those first two games were Tulane and one of the directional schools from California or Carolina or wherever the yeah, fruit Western, they're from. Western Carolina. Western, they hung 76 on them, guys. Okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So... They gave up 35 the week before. That tells me they shut them out. So if they're only giving up 17 and a half on defense, um, they're averaging 393 yards rushing per game. They've got eight TDs. They've scored on the ground. 661 yards passing. Or no, this is not per game. This is total. My bad. Uh, 661 yards passing total for the year. Uh, six TDs. They've got 13 penalties for 111 yards. And their average time of possession per game is 33-11. So we've got our work cut out for us next week. I don't know if you've got any extra notes. I've just kind of wrote down the team stats for OU. I imagine you've probably got some things written down as well. Um, Honestly, I'm just looking at the old trusty ESPN app here. There you go. And, yeah, they have an average of – so if we're looking at passing yards – Nebraska's average for the season right now is 277. Theirs is mm-hmm. 330. And then for us, we have the advantage with our average rushing yards of 236 average per game, and they have 196. Um, okay. It looks like we allow, yeah, it looks, uh, yes, we allow 327 yards per game and they allow 287 so as expected they have better kind of average stat lines aside from the rushing yards but minus martinez our average yards kind of go down a bit i would presume yeah um but and they will scheme to take him away as much as possible my guess is there's going to be a spy on him most of the game um, yes and, and yeah also making sure that Torre is bracketed wherever he's at on the field so um, it could be a long day, and I think our score prediction kind of kind of reflects how long a day we actually think it is. I, you know, I haven't watched any of OU, and I'm not afraid to admit that because I don't want to. I don't really want to see what's coming. I want to be pleasantly destroyed or expre- surprised, however you want to word it, once uh, once the game actually kicks off on Saturday. And maybe it won't feel as bad because I'll be watching it on a Samsung phone as opposed to a 54-inch Samsung TV. So <laughs> that'll help, maybe. Uh, but, um, yeah, there's really not much else we can say about Oklahoma except for the fact that, you know, they're a frequent participant in the college football playoff. They're probably going to move up in the standings by next week because of the loss that OSU suffered. Um, man, but Rattler has not exactly looked like a world beater either, at least in the highlights that I've seen from the first game. He didn't look all that good. I don't know. I didn't really take a look at his stat line for this last one because I imagine he was out at halftime. Um, yeah, if but, I'm looking if I'm looking at the comparative stats between Martinez and Rattler, Rattler is 50 for 65, so he's missed 15 passes thus far. 
um, has six touchdowns for 547 yards. He has two interceptions. Both of those were against Tulane. So obviously he had a really clean game against their cupcake opponent. Um, Mm -hmm. And that's pretty much it. I mean, compared to Martinez, Martinez has a significantly less accurate stat line with uh, 46 out of 74 passes, 46 completion out of 74 passes with 728 yards. So his productivity is actually higher in comparison with four less. He's also had one more game. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That is also true. I forgot about that. I forget that we are so blessed to have started our season off with a Big Ten opponent. Um, (laughs) Yeah, what a blessing. (laughs) Yeah. But one of the uh, one of the interesting one of the interesting facts about this is that they only gave us a five. I think it was actually like at one point a four percent chance of winning on the match predictor via ESPN Football Power Index, and we are up to an eight percent chance of winning with right. Dang, yeah, with the spread. The spread right now is sitting at minus 22 for OU with an over under of 61. So that's kind of. That sounds about right. That sounds about right, um, which basically predicts them to beat us 39 to whatever the hell else, 39 to 22, Um, (laughs) which is better than what I'm thinking. That's actually better than. Oh, yeah. Then what so I'm if thinking. we were to figure it out, if we were to keep this game close, if we were to maybe cover the spread, what do you think Nebraska has to do on on offense first and foremost? And what do you think? Who do you think needs to be the key? Does it need to be Martinez making the best decisions all the way throughout the game, or do we need that offensive line to grow the f- up really quick and figure out how to get four and a half five yards of carry to their running back? I am thinking kind of along those lines. Uh, our our offensive line needs to show up. They need to, I don't know, make a jump. I know that they're young. I know that they lack in, what would it be, like? Experience, for sure. They're all ex- sophomores and freshmen. Yes, but at the same time, say lack of experience, but a lot of those guys that are on our offensive line have been here for three years. So it's not that they don't have enough experience. It's just that, I guess it is. I guess it is that they're not, they're not starters for three years. So that Mm -hmm. actually, yeah, that actually makes a way more sense. But I think the biggest thing is going to be turnovers. If we can keep it under, well, if we have zero turnovers, I think we have a, we have a shot in the dark there. Um, but if, if we make those crucial mistakes, either on special teams or, uh, a, a driving, like we're driving down to score and we fumble or throw a pick, like it's not going to look very good. I think that interception or, uh, turnovers is, I think key. If we can have a clean game in the turnover department, that would be awesome. I think penalties are going to play a huge role. We discussed mm-hmm. this earlier about, um, or in our podcast, I believe I get so confused whether or not it was pre podcast discussion or, uh, during <laughs> podcast discussion, but the simple fact of, uh, having our offensive line being so young and so inexperienced, like I just have a feeling that we're going to have some explosive plays that are just going to immediately get called back because of some bogus offensive line holding call. Um, mm-hmm. that's going to kill us real bad. Um, 
And the last thing is going to be, can our defensive line and our second level, can the seven guys up front put pressure on Spencer Rattler? Like, we have to pressure that guy. We have to make him make mistakes. He has shown that in the two years that he's been at OU that he can make some mistakes. Um, can we show up with an all-Big Ten defense that just comes out and plays an incredibly dominant and aggressive game that makes him make mistakes, that the turnover margin goes in our favor, and that we force Spencer to right. throw a pick or – get him on his blind side, on his weak side from Ben Stilley or whoever, whomever knocks the ball out of his hand and, and we get a turnover. Like those are those things that we are going to have to make them make mistakes. And we are going to have to play a clean game without mistakes. Those are the ways that I see us even getting a snowball's chance and or less than, I guess if it were a snowball's chance in hell, there's no chance. But um, if we were to even get, <laughs> a shot at contending. I don't even think we're going to win in the preseason. I said that if we were to upset anybody, it would be OU. but that was also before I witnessed our game against uh, mm -hmm. Illinois. We right. haven't shown very many jumps or we haven't shown a big jump in our ability to be a better team. It's looking a little bit better as of at, you know, since our game against uh, Buffalo, but just not as big of a jump as I was kind of hoping to see. So I don't think that we, I think that an 8% chance of winning is honestly a little bit more optimistic than I'm thinking. Um, I don't think that we win, but if we even compete, it's going to be with those, with those things, turnovers, penalties, clean play, pressure against Rattler and mm -hmm. damn an explosive player too, that doesn't get negated by penalties. Mm -hmm. Um, that's that's pretty much it. What do you? I'm right there with you. I think you you nailed it for me as well. I was writing down O line needs to make a jump, D line needs to put pressure. Simple as that. It's going to start in the trenches. If you want to have a shot at beating a team like Oklahoma, you have to be better in the trenches. I'm not sure we are. I think we're competitive in the size of the bodies that we have, in the type of conditioning that they have and the strength and all those kinds of things it's now about technique and that's what it comes when it comes down to experience technique is all about experience it's all about it's all about um, reps in practice and learning what those things are those those little nuances where to put your foot on this particular play where this guy's lined up if he's lined up heads up on me I need to move this direction or that direction with this foot you know if he's lined up to my right I need to do this that or the other there's a lot of things and details that these young kids are learning. And I think it starts there. If we can get the front seven on off on defense and the front five on offense to move the pile period, not get moved back. We've got a shot. We've got a shot. But like you said, we got to play clean. We got to not have cam not learn how to say the freaking word pickle when the ball's coming down on a punt and it might hit one of his blockers. Uh, we need, we need uh, Cherney to keep, if he's got a shot at down and one inside the five, we need a couple of those in this game. Um, even if we just win the field position game for the first half, we'll have a shot. If you win the field position game, you keep pinning them deep, make those guys go 75, 80 yards um, with, a, with a quarterback that, quite frankly, we know you get him pressured or rattled, uh, it's easy to rattle a rattler. 
I guess. So <laughs> <laughs> that's what we need to do, though I don't have a whole lot of confidence that it, we can do it. Frost has said, other coaches have said, we've got the kids to compete with anybody on our schedule. It's now all about being between the ears when we get between the white lines and playing clean, solid football. Hey, if we go in there and they drop six touchdowns on us, but we put three, four on the board, we play a good game and we don't get a lot of penalties and it's just a nice slobber knocker between OU and NU, hey, I'm going to be happy. Even if we are two and two, I'm going to be happy because that tells me that Michigan State might be in for an ass kick in the next week. So, I sure hope so. Um, Anyway, but I don't have a lot of confidence that that's going to happen either. So both of us don't have exactly the rosiest of score predictions. So why don't you go ahead and throw yours out there? And uh, yeah. Yeah. So I think that OU is going to come right out of the gate on fire um, and just drive down the field and score on us. Um, If we get the ball first, I have a feeling that we're going to just get shut down right off the bat. And I just have this feeling that OU is going to be up at least 14 points before we ever get, before we ever put any points on the scoreboard. Um, I do think that it will end up being a back and forth for a little bit, maybe through the second and third quarter where we're hanging behind them by a score or two. Um, But ultimately at the end of the game, I think that OU is going to find a way to shut us down and we, are going to end up making mistakes because we're going to try um, doing some crazy stuff to to get some momentum back, and it just I just don't think it's going to work. Um, ultimately, I think that our score is going to be fifty-two to seventeen with OU coming on top. Um, like I said, I think that we'll get in the end. Or not, I didn't say this; you said this. I think we'll get in the end zone a couple times, but I don't think it's going to be in the first quarter, and I don't think that it's going to be in the third quarter i think we score once in the second quarter and i think we score or i guess twice if we get a field goal somewhere in maybe the third quarter but yeah okay we'll maybe get one more touchdown in the fourth quarter and that's about it so 52 to 17 is what i'm predicting ou on top and i'm just not very optimistic about this game at this point um but I hope, you know, I, I'm going to always hold on to my, um, my scarlet colored glasses and drink a little bit of Kool-Aid and just hold on in like the back of my soul with just like a little bit of hope that we come out with an upset. Um, right. If we were to do an upset, it would have to be under the guise that we make OU make a bunch of mistakes and we play an incredibly clean game. That's the only way it happens. Um, so yeah, that's, that's my score prediction. 52 to 17. Mine's not much different from you. I still, I think we score 17 as well, but I think we hold them to one less touchdown, 45, 17. Uh, cause I have a little bit more faith in the defense than I do the offense going into this game. Although you never know if they can't figure out what to do with Torre. And if we get bets back and he's healthy and capable of playing, um, God, I hope Oliver Martin's back. I'm, you know, Crap, Manning was in a walking boot on Saturday, according to the radio coverage during Big Red um, reaction last night. So I'm hoping he's back. Uh, we need those big bodies out there. Uh, so, And doggone it, Bookie's gone. He's not at OU anymore. That was the dude that got picked on all the time by good teams with good wideouts. And he's not there anymore, darn it. 
<laughs> he was Dang a big time recruit that Riley was going to get, and then when we hired Frost, he ended up committing to OU, and now he's was left. It Hadley he's Riles or something like that. Brendan Hadley Riles. I think he's at Oregon State now, but I don't uh, know for sure. Oh, I was, Go yeah, figure. I was like, who's the other Go guy? Figure. That's Brendan um, Hadley. So Riles. yeah, forty five to seventeen is is my score prediction. So let's go ahead and update our plus minus game so far for the season. Uh, if any of you are listening to this and you're wondering, did he post the plus minus game last week for uh, Buffalo? And the answer to that is you would know the answer to that if you've been playing the freaking plus minus game, but obviously you haven't. So I didn't post a plus minus for Buffalo because screw you. We'll just play and have fun amongst ourselves because you don't want to have fun with us. So, yeah, we'll have to post anyway, this one. <laughs> we'll post this one. Yeah, why not? It's OU. So um, Scott hit last week on the over for 30-plus yard plays. That's what he had he had predicted was, what, two? And then uh, three. we ended up with – you predicted three, but your number that you had posted was plus or minus two. Oh, yep. And then you said three, but it ended up being five. But because you bet the over, that gives you a point. Yep. Um I bet that Nebraska that Martinez would hit two passing touchdowns, um, and I believe I guessed two. I don't think I guessed the over or the under. I'd have to go back and look. But if I did guess two, then I got two points. So at this point, pending going back and listening to what I said on the show, <laughs> it's three to two, my lead at this point. Um, but we're not betting anything. We're not, you know, there's no, there's only bragging rights at stake here. Uh, so this week's plus minus. I have plus minus one sack created by the black shirts. What do you think? Do you think they get more than that or they think they get none or one? Uh, this is a hard one because I know that OU's offensive line is formidable and I know our defensive line is also formidable. I just don't know how either of those things translate between two power five teams. Um, I'm going to go with optimistic, and I'm going to think that if we stand a fighting chance against OU, I'm going to base this on my optimistic side that we put pressure on Spencer Rattler and somehow we scheme up some sort of outside linebacker, like inside linebacker blitz that gets through the line like we were able to do uh, with Buffalo. Um, and then maybe a sack by um, one of our stout defensive linemen. Uh, I'm going to say two. I'm going to think two sacks that are going to... So you're going plus. Yeah, I'm going plus. I'm going to say plus. Um, just for optimistic sake. If I was just being a realist, I would say none. Um, but I'm going to play hardball here and be optimistic with just our plus or minus um, just for funsies. And I'm going to cool. say plus. Well, I'm going to go. I'm going to go with the number. I'm going to go with one. And here's why. I don't think we get any until the fourth quarter when it's, you know, 45 to 10 or 45, 17. And they've got their second and third string offensive linemen in there. Then I think we get one. So fair. Uh, yeah, I'm going to go with one sack by the black shirts that day. So your plus minus is my plus or minus for this one is going to be. 250 passing yards by Nebraska. Um, reason being is because I don't know and I don't think that we'll get much of a running game going, um, and we're going to have to rely heavily on our wide receiving core 
to be in this game. And I know 250 passing yards is actually eh, that actually could be a little bit a little bit much for this game. But we'll see. Once again, with this plus or minus game, I'm I'm using a framework of optimism, and <laughs> I am going to go with no optimism here. I'm going to go with under. Um, <laughs> I'm just going to go with under. I think we'll sit right at about 220, maybe 210, something like that. Um, but if anybody else wants to be optimistic about it, if you are one of those uh, homers, um, super optimistic Husker fan, and you think that we're just going to go out there and raise hell, go for it. Well, I was probably going to go with the under two, uh, but seeing how we've averaged right at 270 for the year, um, granted, 300 of that was against a Fordham defense. Man, I hate to go with the over, but I can't guess exactly the number because I don't think we're going to get exactly 250 yards. Uh, but I'm going to go with the over anyway. I'm going to go ahead and say plus because of the fact that um, that's the thing that OU's been susceptible to in bigger games against better opponents in in the playoff granted we're not playoff quality at all but i don't think they're going to see a receiver quite like samari Torre the rest of the season either so we might be the best i know we'll be the best non-conference opponent they'll play and i think Torre might be the best receiver they see for the rest of the season until they get to the playoff so i'm going to say uh yeah i'm going to say over i'm going to say martinez goes for right around right around the average, right around 270. And I'd say Samari has another 100-yard-plus receiving day. So All right. en route to doing that. And if the other guys come back healthy and if Austin Allen comes back, which turns out I guess it was an ankle, not a head injury. Oh, so, yeah. Uh, at least that's what that. they said on BTN. So uh, we'll see. Uh, and that might have been a swerve that NU did just to make sure that nobody knew exactly what was going on because that's kind of a frost MO. He likes to swerve people, not let them know exactly what's going on until he knows for sure how serious it is. Uh, so if he's in concussion protocol, we're probably not going to see him until Michigan State. Um, but anyway, that pretty much puts a bow tie on the Sooners game. And here's hoping we're both horribly wrong on our score predictions and that we can come back and uh, have a much more enjoyable podcast next week because Nebraska plays a good football game. That would be my dream. Just play a good dang game, guys. Um, anyway, why don't we move on to the fun facts? Ooh, fun facts. Yeah, so fun fact about me. Um, I'm not really like a Lego enthusiast. Like I don't have like hundreds of Lego sets that I have built laying around everywhere. But I've always had a fascination for Legos. Um, it's actually a very memorable thing of my childhood going over to my friend Zach's house and he just had a giant piece of, uh, or a giant like tote that was just full of Legos that he kept underneath his bed. And we would always play games with the Legos. One of the most notable game that we would play is that he and I would both start building something. I would start building something. He would start building something. And then after about five minutes, we would switch and he'd give me what he was building on and I would give him what I was building on. And then we would build on each other's ideas and 
And then eventually we would just decide that we were done and we would enjoy the results of our collective uh, building skills. Um, we had completely different building ideas, but it always came out really fun. And as I've gotten older, when I was in the Marine Corps, I really didn't have the, well, one, I didn't really have the money to just go out and buy Legos because they're dang expensive. And I had other things I wanted to do, like drink all the time. <laughs> so <laughs> I usually saved my money for beer and I didn't want to deal with the headache of constantly moving built Legos from room to room, which was a common theme when I was in the Marine Corps of just getting shuffled around rooms all the time and changing duty stations and going to stink in Japan. Uh, it just became a headache. Um, and I just never wanted to get Legos. But once I got out of the Marine Corps, I, I've slowly kind of gotten back into it. And a few of the uh, Lego things that I am enjoying right now is my wife got me for my birthday last year. So way over a year ago, she got me a Brixel's, uh, Brixel's Memorial Stadium. It's a little replica of Memorial Stadium from an off-brand of Legos. They're much tinier pieces, but essentially the exact same design as Lego. And I have a Memorial Stadium I'm working on right now. Uh, I had a couple uh, cars. I had a McLaren and a uh, and a Porsche that I had bought from Target way back in the day. I had them built, but my little nephew, uh, he's... He's a very uh, ingenuitive person, and he likes to take take things apart and put them back together again. But more so, he just likes to take things apart. So when my nephew was over a while <laughs> back, he took apart both of those cars for me. Um, <laughs> but luckily, good old uh, Liam. yeah, good old Liam. Love the kid. Um, I, I still have the uh, instruction manuals, but I want to build the Husker uh, Legos that I have. Because in addition to the Memorial Stadium... Brixel set that I got from Foco.com. Well, I didn't get it. My wife got it. But Foco, uh, F-O-C-O, they have these things available. It's actually where I got one of my Husker straw hats, and they have a bunch of other cool things there, uh, Husker memorabilia and whatnot. But they have a little Herbie Husker that you can build, and I have that waiting for me to actually work on, and then a Husker football helmet that is made from the exact same bricks as well. So I have a lot of building ahead of me, um, but it's just one of those things that I find incredibly uh, satisfying to, to do. It's very uh, aesthetically pleasing to work on Legos. And I think I'm going to get uh, into them more as I get old or as I get older. I mean, I'm already old, but as I continue on through life, I'm going to keep getting some more Legos. So if anybody that's listening really likes Legos, um, just uh, set, shoot a tweet out of any – if you've built any Husker Legos or uh, any cool Lego sets that you have. Like if you have one of those 56,000-piece Millennium Falcons that I've mm -hmm. seen or it's like 5,000-piece Millennium Falcon or 12,000-piece tw uh, uh, Death Star, you know, like all those crazy sets that if you find them online, they cost thousands of dollars. If you have any of those cool things, uh, tweet it at us and make sure you tag the episode uh, that you had heard about Legos from to maybe get people interested in our lowly podcast. Um, but yeah, that's just a fun <laughs> – that's just a fun fact. I hate to be so – uh, 
pessimistic. No, I love doing this. We have a we have a, a decent little following at this point. Um, so we very much thank you for that. And I, I hope that you enjoy this fun fact section because it's just a great way to get to know me and my dad, Ken. Um, and yeah, speaking of my dad, Ken, what's a what's a fun fact about you? Well, as we talked about in our, in our second episode where we introduced ourselves and kind of gave everybody our history of how we became Husker fans, of course, if you listen to that show, thank you. If you haven't, please go back and check it out. It gives you a little bit of insight into this fun fact for me, which, uh, number one, I'm not a Nebraska native. So for me, my first experience in Memorial Stadium was not until 1995, and that was for the Oklahoma game. Coincidentally, in 1995, Nebraska was favored by 30 points. Because uh, that was back when OU sucked big time, and um, they won thirty-seven to nothing. I never forget it. At the end of the radio call, Kent Pavelka, who uh, was always kind of snarky at times, at the end of the end of the radio uh, broadcast, he says, "Well, Nebraska's won the game. It's thirty-seven to nothing, and Judas Priest, Nebraska covered." <laughs> 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 and uh i just re- i remember it was of course it was it was senior day because it's the last game of the season so in memorial stadium and i remember literally feeling the stadium start to tremble when they introduced tommy frazier and he comes out and just goes nuts spinning around throwing his fists in the air and jumping and um the face value of the ticket if that gives anybody any indication of how expensive it really is to go to a game these days face value for ou which was a premium game so it was an expensive game was uh, $25, and I paid 50 from a buddy of mine just because I wanted to be there. Uh, not because it was OU, but because I I could say for the rest of my life that I got to be one of the 72,000 people on this planet who got to witness the final Big 8 game ever in person. Um, and ever since then, college football has just kind of gone to sh- <laughs> Maybe it's Maybe it's just your cognitive bias about Nebraska just being absolute sh- <laughs> yeah, it could be. It could be. Uh, <laughs> that's very, very possibly true. But yeah, that was me. That was my first. It was not my first live game experience. I got to actually see Nebraska play in the Fiesta Bowl back in 1989, right after I married your mother. Um, Grandma and Grandpa came down from Nebraska for Christmas, and then we went to the Fiesta Bowl then. And it wasn't a fun experience. I think we lost 34-17 or something like that to uh, to Florida State ironically Mm. um so anyway that's my fun fact and that pretty much wraps up this show folks thanks for sticking around with us you can find us on all the social medias well not all of them there's a couple (laughs) you can find us at facebook.com slash genredpod and i will post this week's plus minus game there uh later tonight or tomorrow morning so you can play the game with us uh also you can find us on twitter at genredpod so make sure any of those Husker memorabilia, any things like that that you guys want to post and tweet at us, Lego, whatever, uh, please do so. Uh, Let us know where you're listening from so we kind of get some of those analytics. We don't have the expensive hosting platform at this point, so I don't know where y'all are listening from. It would be really kind of cool to hear where you guys are downloading the show from. So tweet that at us. You can also find us at our website at genredpod.com where we've got links to our social media And, of course, there are links to all your favorite podcasting apps. You just click the link, and you can actually subscribe to the show right through our website or listen to it right in your browser. We do have a YouTube channel with no videos on it yet, but you can subscribe. It's called Generation Red Live, 
And of course, as that name would imply, we intend to live stream the show starting in January of 2022. So that's pretty much it. We really appreciate you guys listening. Uh, For Scott and myself, together we are the Generation Red Podcast. And until next week, remember, Iowa's corn will always suck. And there's no place like Nebraska. So be Just play a good game against the Sooners, please. (laughs) (laughs) This podcast is not associated in any official capacity with the University of Nebraska or the Cornhusker football team. All opinions expressed on this podcast are those of the hosts alone and are intended for entertainment purposes only. Anyway, thanks so much for listening. Stay sweet and salty, and go Big Red.